Welcome to GradCast. I'm Callum. I'm Krishna. All the do's and don'ts of being a grad. Hello, hello everyone and welcome back to episode 6 of GradCast, proudly brought to you by CSC, the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation. I can't believe we're halfway through the year and also have completed season one of this podcast. So for this special episode, we've decided to mix it up a little bit and do something completely different. So far in our series, we've heard lots of amazing advice from those in the public service about how to make the graduate year really count. That's right. And this time we've decided to metaphorically spread our wings a little and find out how the APS stacks up against the private or corporate sector and ask the question that I guess everybody wants to know, especially everybody who's applying for a grad program, why be a public servant? And to bring some light to this topic, this episode is in partnership with the Future Leaders Committee of IPAA, also known as the Institute of Public Administration Australia. We're going to hear a conversation featuring guests from public and private sectors. This is not so much a debate, but a chance to find out the similarities and the differences and hopefully explode a few myths. That's right, Callum. And this conversation between Megan stating her case about working in the APS and Tim, who will talk about working in the private sector. A little bit about Megan for all of our listeners. Megan Aponte Payne currently works in the Office of Supply Chain Resilience at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, very fancy, and has been a member of IPAA Future Leaders Committee since 2020. Megan is especially passionate about leadership and cultural change. And Tim Taylor, a graduate of the Australian Defence Force Academy, is currently working as a manager in the Technology Risk Practice Team at KPMG. With over six years of experience in the industry, Tim is skilled in providing program assurance services where they're delivering large transformational ICT programs. Outside of work, Tim is a social basketballer and mentors the youth in his community. Sounds really exciting. And so for this episode to our listeners, Callum and I will be listening in and giving our take on the exciting conversation between Megan and Tim or private versus public. And we'll be reflecting on the conversation and asking some of our own questions. And joining us in these reflections is the leadership coach and career transition specialist, Tim Crowden. Tim, thank you for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Tim has experience in leading, developing and mentoring individuals and teams for success in the public, private and not-for-profit sectors. So before we get into the conversation... Tim, if I could ask, so you have experience working with individuals and helping them realise their potential uh, and their personal and professional goals, and also working with organisations on how those goals can be realised within the company's goals and culture, what should our listeners keep an ear out for in this discussion of public versus private? Thank you. I always find this a very interesting conversation to have because the difference between the private and the public sector is becoming less and less more obvious as we move through. And one of the things that's really important at the moment too is the difference that we're seeing in that how private uh, industry partners really need to connect up with the the Commonwealth government sector and vice versa. Mm. So they're very reliant on each other. And as you probably know from your own experience, you probably see a lot of contractors and consultants 
working very closely in the Commonwealth government sector where you work. In my opinion, I don't think one can survive without the other because, you know, you have the contractors, which, you know, and the government specialists that go to the private sector, but then we also have these private government sectors hiring a lot of specialists. So since you worked across both, um, on both sides of the teams, I guess, um, what do you personally prefer? That's a really good question because I've been in the public sector for over 30 years and then I moved out and formed my own company and so I'm now in the sort of private sector. Mm. When I was in the public sector, I was working a lot with industry partners, um, both here and overseas and, you know, in different different realms. So for me and what motivates me, it generally comes back to the mission, the vision and the values. And so the, the I find that being in the public sector, one of the things is it's very easy to connect to the mission and it's also very easy to connect possibly with your values and the values of the Commonwealth Government and the agency you're working in. Looking forward to getting into the conversation of why be a public servant. So let's turn over to that now. And moderating the conversation is Andrew Bell. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, team, and welcome, Megan and Tim. Now, we're here to talk about similarities and differences between the public and private sector to raise some questions and just maybe dispense with some stereotypes and explode or expose some sacred cows. For what it's worth, I've worked in both public and commercial media. I even spent a year or so in the Australian Public Service. Now then, this is a conversation, it's not a debate, no winners, no losers, just an exchange of views. So let's start with you, Megan. You're at PM&C. Some might say you stand atop one of the towering peaks of the public service. Good view from there? (laughs) Well, the Canberra Times refers to it as Leafy Barton. I'll have you know. (laughs) And and it's a pleasant view? Uh, It is quite a nice view, yes. Okay. Um, But more than that, I mean, it's... An interesting place to work. I started there as a graduate actually in 2014 and haven't been there the whole time. I've moved around. Um, but the reason I wanted to join the public service and in particular PMNC was because I wanted to work in the centre of government and in the, and particularly in federal government. And so PMNC gave me a chance to do that. Now, Tim, as much as you can living in Canberra, you've steered clear from the public service. Was that deliberate? Oh, somewhat. Uh, there was definitely, I've definitely applied for public service jobs in the past. Um, but having applied for KPMG and got the job there, uh, haven't, haven't really looked outside private sector since then. Do you think the two sectors look at each other? In a, certainly in a place like Canberra, where the public service is such a thing you can see, lanyards everywhere, do you eye each other off the two sectors? Well, look, it's interesting. The view from our building, uh, interestingly enough, looks down at Parliament House. Um, so take from that as you will. But we, we, we definitely look at the APS to get a gauge of um, we talk a lot about market. And so for us, everything's market-led and our market in Canberra is the APS. Um, and we're looking for what their priorities are. We, we're somewhat reactive in that regard where we want to see where they are needing support or needing our services. Um, But at the same time, we hope that they're looking to us a little bit um, because we can set some more um, progressive and and forward-thinking agendas. We're not constrained by supporting the government of the day. Uh, Megan, I guess, is is the suspicion level, is that diminishing, do you think, in the public service of the corporate sector or are they seen as a slightly more, you know, flashy 
mode of operation. They do sometimes turn up in shiny black vehicles, which we're a bit <laughs> jealous of. But um, I'd say those who've worked between both understand both, but I think there's still a little bit of a perception from the public service that it's a, it's a strange, mysterious world where it perhaps seems more cutthroat, there's bonuses, um, and that I guess we see them as specialists who come in to do specific things often when we've got a really kind of time-sensitive project. And Tim works in that area. Uh, it's funny, you, it's, it's a different, whole different world. I thought you were talking about the APS for a moment there. But anyway, <laughs> let's cut to the chase. Money, dollars and cents. Do the decisions, do you think, on whether to become a public servant, whether or not, how much might they be driven by that remuneration? Thing? Well, I'll let Tim speak in a minute to maybe some misconceptions, I'm not sure, about money. I mean, from my own point of view, I think I'm very reasonably compensated for my time, although I, I guess I see money as one element of a package and probably the other element for me being a public servant would be stability in the role. And so it's probably a combination of those two mm. that I look for. Tim, do you think sometimes the lack of stability, real or imagined, stops some people from considering going into the private sector? Oh, for sure. It must stop some people. Um, we... Unfortunately, you know, at the crunch at the beginning of COVID, there was the instability was um, for, forefront of mind. But in Canberra, the market is so stable. The, the, the need for consulting work is, or speaking from experience, is, is always there. Um, but it is interesting. I think the package, meant, uh, package idea that Megan brought up is so true because I think we look at the, the silver handcuffs, so they say, of the super... Um, and, and look at that in ours, we often will have a salary number that includes super, whereas you look at the public service and there's super on top. Um, but I think it is a misconception that you get paid less in the public service. Um, Canberra's a very competitive market. There's lots of different um, factors that go into calculating salaries and things like that. And at the lower levels, you might be surprised. You can go and look at the um, the different APS tables, and you might the difference might be not as great as you think. Um, you both are in early-ish stages of your careers. Looking over your shoulder and knowing what you know from older colleagues, do you think there's going to be a little bit more crossover in coming years? There's going to be more portability of skill sets. That's a very interesting question. We One of the benefits of the private sector is that we will often facilitate um, secondments and you can actually get a secondment into a public service well, department agency. Um, so a colleague of mine, my boss, did a few years um, working in the ATO in a delivery role because often what we're doing as a, as a function, we come in and advise from the side, but we're not responsible for the delivery. Uh, in a tech space where I am. And so he had an opportunity to second into the public service uh, and the clear example of the portability of skills and experiences um, and really taking that idea of working alongside and partnering with to a whole new level, I guess. Before we go back to the team for a sort of half-time break, Megan, how does the public servant view the incoming seconded private person, whether it's for a couple of months, a couple of years. Um, is there a, I'm going back to the S word, suspicion? Is there slightly standoffishness? Um, 
No, I mean, I think there's certain processes and procedures in place, particularly around security clearances, so levels of bureaucracy that make it hard for the everyday worker to try and welcome a secondee at times. But I think at the same time, on a human level, we often see them as a specialist in a specific area, and so we want to be able to use the expertise that they've been brought in And learn from that? Definitely, yes. Okay, well, let's just... Pause there, go back to the team, Krishna, Callum and Tim, to see what they think of the conversation so far. So, Tim, your initial thoughts or comments on what has been discussed so far? I think there's been a lot in that little first section around the public and private sector. I think um, one of the things that uh, I wanted to pick up as a career coach immediately is the discussion around careers. I think it's really interesting that discussion around portability of skill sets, Mm -hmm. because we find more often than not is you don't have to stick to one sector, you can move between them. So there is greater portability between working in the public sector and the private sector. One of the things that's very important in the public sector at the moment is entrepreneurship. So we want people with a business head and a business mind in the public sector because we get much better results. So when we're talking around, you know, the stability of the public sector, yeah, it's stable, but we also want to have that little bit of risk-taking. We don't want a risk-adverse public sector because it's not going to work in this um, volatile world that we're living in at the moment. I really like the comment around the culture of government because that goes to what I said initially around that mission, vision and values. And I think one of the key things for anyone working in either sector, but it's particularly valuable in the Commonwealth sector, is we really want to make sure that we're linked in with the values, that we're clear on the mission, we um, know what the vision is, and we can connect with that strategy. Because as public servants, you are the strategy, you don't just read the strategic plan. In the conversation, Tim Taylor talked about overlapping skills. Uh, And in some of our previous episodes, particularly episode four, On this podcast, we've covered and talked a bit about transferable skills, particularly thinking about transferring skills from the sport into the working world. Uh, But this is a conversation between public and private sectors. Tim, do you agree with what was said about overlapping skills? Skills across all sectors. I mean, uh, analytical skills are key. And I mean, that's why we have a graduate program because we want people that have great analytical skills, can make sense where there's no sense, um, and and can really come to the nub of the matter and make a recommendation about the way forward. And it doesn't matter what department agents you're in, doesn't matter what sector you're in, that's essentially the skills we want. So they are very portable. Particularly at the moment in a post-COVID environment, one of the things we find is we want people with the broadest skill set possible. We've seen in industry where some, you know, even here in Canberra, we saw hairdressers selling beer. <laughs> so that's at the lower level. When we come to the, sort of the higher levels, we start to see bigger companies who have taken opportunities and say, um, hey, does anybody know anything about any other industry that we can capitalise? So some companies going through COVID had a really hard time and some companies going through COVID benefited and made, you know, some, some big investments and, and really grew. And it's the same for the Commonwealth Government. You know, there were some programs that were rolled out during COVID that were, you know, big IT programs that were deemed to be 10-year-long programs and they were delivered very quickly. So those same skills and the um, agility that's required now, broad sets of skills um, that can, you know, meet a whole range of changes and challenges is exactly what we need in both sectors. 
everybody's talking about agility and being agile and flexible. And I was actually a grad during the COVID, um, pa- during the pandemic. So having that skill set and being flexible with going on secondments and helping out in the bushfires and all that kind of stuff was really, really important um, and helped me pick up some really unique skill sets. But I want to change gears a little bit from the actual skills that somebody might have to personality types. I think, and as you, as somebody who's worked in the private sector and then the public sector, but you're also an entrepreneur now, which, which I would, you know, I think all entrepreneurs are really daring, they're ambitious, they, you know, challenge the status quo. So how, what kind of personality types do you think would, would be better um, suited to the public service? All of them. Diversity is key. We need the most diverse workforce that we've ever had because we need to capture all those different views. Um, it used to be the case where we would try and avoid conflict in the workplace, and we still do, but we want the contestability of ideas in the workplace so that we get the best solution possible. Because there's no book that's going to tell us the answers to what's happening at the moment. There's no book that's certainly going to tell us the answers to how do we find new people to recruit, because it's a challenge. Everybody needs more people of different skill sets, of great skill sets, who can manage some of the big challenges we have coming through. So it is that very much that need to get that diversity in teams. And in fact, as we're going through recruitment programs, we want to make sure that we're recruiting the most diverse teams that we can so that we get that contestability of ideas and that way out idea, but also possibly that person to say, why do we do things like that? And we want to avoid that answer of saying, because that's the way we do things around here. We want to say, well, let's, let's question in a nice way and challenge some of those ideas to make sure we're getting the best result possible. Going back to then, if, if, if all personality types are suited to being in the public service, um, I guess it does come down to then being the one who's the most flexible or having, I guess, skills that can be applied to a range of different situations or tasks. Is there any way that people can upskill themselves or what should... Um, public servants be doing to better prepare themselves to take advantage or, you know, survive, um, have a long-term career in the public service? Yeah. One of the things that I think is key is to get a mentor. And the other thing is possibly if you can get a coach, and I'm always going to say that. (laughs) But it is good to have that, you know, external advice and to hold the mirror up against yourself to say, where, where, where am I, you know, where can I develop my skills? What can I do? I always encourage people to Um, whether you're on LinkedIn, have a look at the courses on LinkedIn, also have a look at the courses from the APSC Academy. So the APSC um, website's fantastic because there's a range of courses there and they're outside of your agency, so they're more generic um, capability building. But it also is a great opportunity to start looking at what other courses can I do in, in a few years' time? You know, as I as I as I grow and and into the into different roles in the public sector, how can I adapt my skills, um, but also start to pick up some of those other skills that you may need in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to read financial data. Mm-hmm. You know, while it may not be the thing that you want to do mm-hmm. right now, it's going to be one of those skills that you're going to need as you move into to leadership roles and part of the leadership and management team in the agencies that you're in now or maybe other agencies, you're going to have to have some of those skills. Um, and I think knowing more about yourself and what are your strengths and where areas that you need to develop is absolutely key to becoming a, a success in any of the sectors. And given this debate has been about the public sector versus private sector, would it be beneficial to maybe find, if you're in the public sector, a private sector mentor? I think it's the person you connect to. Okay. I think it's the best thing. And the person where you can develop trust, 
mm. and where you can have that good, honest conversation and where they're going to be honest with you as well because those relationships can last for years and they can be mm. great when you're sounding board, particularly when you're coming up to, should I apply for this job? Mm. I've got a difficult conversation coming up or I'm not getting on with this other person mm. in my area. A mentor can be someone that can maybe step into your shoes or maybe hold the mirror up and allow you to have a bit of a thought about how do I tackle that challenge? Well, thanks, Tim, for those reflections on mentors. We'll come back to this conversation, but first we're going to return to the conversation with Andy and Tim and Megan. So over to you, Andy. And welcome back. I've got with me uh, Megan Aponte-Payne and Tim Taylor. Megan for from the PMNC, from the public service. Tim, well, you're from KPMG and very much from I'm going to call it corporate, perhaps just because they're two Ps doesn't mean to say we should use those words. I'm going to talk about the word hierarchy next. What about it? In the public service, Megan, everybody knows everybody else's number, don't they? They do. In fact, um, sometimes my husband and I have to catch ourselves when we're talking about the eel two or the band one with, for example, my family from interstate who just have no idea what totally we're talking about. discombobulated. <laughs> what are you talking about? But hierarchies can be informal as well. Tim, in the private sector, the hierarchy's there. You know who the boss is. You know who the latest arrival is. But sometimes all hands on deck... Yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, often I have to be careful which partner I'm talking about, whether it's my wife or whether it's my, my boss. My paying <laughs> bills. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, yeah, we have definitely, the, the, we have a hierarchy, but we op- often will operate uh, a lot flatter. Um, and as you, as you said, Andy, we will put every, all hands on deck um, there, there are occasions where we're producing a report and, and the director's sitting in the room having a, having a snack or something because there's not much that they can do right then and they will jump and deal with the uh, uh, emerging issue, uh, whether it be, you know, getting the coffees or something like that. There's uh, a little bit more of a collegiate atmosphere maybe. And I'm going to sort of link hierarchy with accountability because when people know the number... Sometimes when things don't go the way they perhaps should have done, people calculate their reaction by looking at their numbers. Or am I taking a stereotype which should now be blown up about the public service? Oh, I think it's a difficult one. I mean, one of the things that we have to be very aware of in the public service is we are spending taxpayers' money. And so we do need to be very accountable and accountable to the public, often in public ways such as Senate estimates. Um, and so there is a real responsibility there to make sure that we are uh, getting value for money and making sure that decisions are made in a merit-based way. And I guess the way you make decisions varies a bit because with the, the, the ever-looming possibility of Senate estimates, you, have to, you can't go back and try and do it again. You, you're always testing an idea. Or, or, or policy? Yeah, and we, we have to have very good record keeping. Um, I think, look, it does make for methodical decision making, but at the same time, it does slow our processes down. And I think it probably feeds into the public sector maybe being a bit slow to react or to make changes at times. Change, Tim. I mean, corporate change can literally be overnight with people walking in and out the door with cardboard boxes. I mean... You have to be – the resilience you need as a worker in the corporate sector 
Do you think that might be a little bit different? Oh, I can only speak from my experience, of course, but potentially we we do have um, people coming and going all the time. Uh, I think our change, you know, when again, we're market driven. So, you know, an election happens and we need to be prepared for whatever outcome because that's where the instability, I guess, might come in slightly is that we still need to be winning work. Um, and I think when it comes to decision-making as well, we need, we, I think we are required to make fast decisions because we don't want to get left behind. Um, you know, our decision is not so much for Senate estimates uh, being right or wrong in the eyes of the public, but instead we need to be competitive for a bid. We need to make the right decision to win the piece of work. What um, about accountability in that situation? Is that going on all the time? Absolutely. We account, you have accountability at every level rather than accountability to a public. We've got accountability to one another um, because at the end of the day, our results are measured. Not This is going to sound like fat cats, but in a, in a dollar figure, we're a business, we need to be making money. And if we're not accountable to doing that, if that's your job to win all the work, if, you, if it's not coming in, you can't employ the team and vice versa. That's a pretty big... Two very different ways of approaching accountability, isn't it? What the tension there is is quite difficult to negotiate when when the the contractor comes into say your office because you're aware that they want to get on with it and you're you're aware that you do want to get on with it but you can't do it too fast. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a healthy tension though. I mean, I think like many things in life, it's. You want that tension because that helps you to, to achieve the right balance and I guess that's why we often have the, the public sector is accountable to the people but if there's a specific task that needs to be done quick quickly or flexibly, that's where the private sector can be a, a big help. And if I can add there, I think, you know, our approach as a firm is that the only way we continue to remain, you know, competitive in this market is through delivering to the needs of our clients and so... For us, there's, there's actually a second accountability is, yes, there's the business, but then second, we've got the client and we have to deliver what our APS colleagues need. Um, and if we're not meeting their expectations, well, then we'll be out of out of a job. And so I guess in, in an interesting way in Canberra, our accountability does then flow through to Senate estimates because sometimes, you know, that... You know, a, a secretary will be asked, oh, you brought KPMG in to do this review. They recommended this. Either our recommendations will be put on the table or the value for money of the services we provide are put on the table. Now, in just a moment, you're going to do not so much a pitch as to why be a public servant, why not be a public servant, but just sort of bringing it all together um, on you prepared earlier. But before we get to that, can I just ask both of you the question, being a public servant and a private citizen, is very different to being a corporate worker and a private citizen. Do you think you have to be a certain type of person to accept that, if you like? Because when you're in the public service, there are certain things you can and can't do, particularly during election campaigns, for example. Certainly, and I guess it comes back to that that tension I mentioned before. We have to make sure that um, any decision that we make could, there's no conflict of interest. Um, but at the same time, we're in a very privileged position. I mean, surely, yes, you can be on the outside trying to lobby or you can have a seat at the table. 
And even though you have to be professional um, and transparent in the advice that you give, it gives you a really amazing opportunity to actually influence the direction of the country and I think that shouldn't be taken lightly. And that's a bit of a – could be a bit of a deal-breaker, again, to, to be there – it's lovely to be there doing your contracts and stuff, but your Megan's world is right in the middle of it all, isn't it? That, that is right and, you know, there, there is a place that the APS can only fulfil a certain function that the corporate world will never fulfil and it's that direct – contribution to you know public outcomes um but i think at the same time there is an opportunity in the private sector to um you know shape your career about what you around what you find important um and and we can often pursue a more progressive agenda as a firm and you can align yourself with certain aspects of that working groups committees uh that maybe you might not be able to because it doesn't align in the APS with the with the government of the day. So that was sounding like an answer to the next and final <laughs> question. Actually, have you anything to add? Is not so much why not be a public servant, but why work in corporate? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know I have the immense privilege of working side by side, partnering with the APS. So I do get to scratch that itch a little bit of really wanting to contribute mm. to the public good. But uh, I think if you want. If you're not quite sure where you want to go, if you want a, a vast range of experiences across industries, um, it, departments, agencies, and if you want even some exposure to more senior executive uh, at an earlier starting point in your career, um, you, you get all that in the public service. You get a bit more, oh, I, I don't know, you, you, you work in a flatter structure. There's opportunities to take things and make them your own from day one. Um, you know, to me, that's what makes the public sector, the private sector great. Wow. And Megan, Ooh. have you got a big sell at the end? Tough act to follow. but oh, I, Tim done the sell. <laughs> I, would, I would rebut one of those um, comments by saying that the public sector, the federal public sector has about 160,000 staff members. And so it's, I would say it's actually not that difficult to find a subject of work that aligns with your values, whether it be an operational type job, for example, in a Centrelink office, whether it's, I mean, I've had the privilege, for example, of meeting a number of world leaders in delivering um, the ASEAN summit and the G20 summit, for example. So um, if you're really interested in, in um, like jet planes, you can go and work at Defence. So there's such a variety within the public service. Um, and I would just close by saying, I mean, it, it fundamentally comes down what you want to do, whether you want to work for an organisation that uh, delivers a service to Australians or you want to work for an organisation that does good work but at the end of the day is there to, to put the money in the pockets of, of a few. Megan, Tim, thank you. Back to the team. It's been a really interesting conversation and some cheeky shots fired right at the end there from Megan in her last statement. Uh, as a graduate and early career starter like Krishna and myself, there's a lot for us to digest. Uh, Tim, what have been your final reflections on the podcast uh, and the conversation? I think there's a couple of comments that have come out today. One is being at the centre of government, you know, that mission, vi vision and values. I think that's a really great part of conversation because that's something where we connect to and how we can really make a difference. Um, I also, as, a, as I said, as a career coach, picking up that portability of skills but also getting that diversity of skills 
And and even though some things that you may have done in your past, whether they be at school or the cricket club or wherever it may be, those skills can be quite valuable and, and can be adopted into your work environment. The accountability discussion has been a very interesting one. And I think that um, as public servants uh, or people working in the public sector, accountability does lie with us. But even when we're working with our industry partners, we're responsible for them as well. And so as you're starting off in your journey, accountability is key. Good record keeping is important, but it's also understanding why we do it. It's also understanding what are the review mechanisms? Um, where are the avenues that um, if there is a challenge, where can I go and have a conversation? Not necessarily go and go straight to the courts, but maybe there's an opportunity to have a conversation with an ombudsman, a mentor, something like that if, there, if there's a challenge along the way. Um, but I think it's very interesting because we talk about partnerships with industry mm-hmm. and we do partner with industry, but at the end of the day, we're providing a contract to industry, so we're responsible for all that particular works. And the other thing I really liked was the comment, has to align with your values that Megan made. And I think that's it. I think if you find a job that aligns with your values, you're always going to have a really happy career, a satisfied career, and you won't necessarily have to worry about the remuneration. In the conversation, Andy asks about managing change. Uh, And I think that's something that's really timely at the moment with a new government in office. Uh, It's a really hot topic in the APS thinking about managing change. Uh, And as Grandcast, we were thinking about recording an episode on the impact of change in the public service. Uh, Tim, with your experience working with clients from different countries, different sectors, uh, from early careers especially, does change look different in the private sector to the public sector? I don't think it does. It's still the same volatile, uncertain, challenging world. So it's there, it's just present, the way it presents in different ways to different sectors, mm-hmm. different departments, um, you know, different industries, you know, different whatever. So I think that um, it's still the same challenging world out there. I think it's just the meeting that challenge in the best way possible, depending on, you know, what, what the challenge is. Are there any, I guess, tips that you might have for people in public or private sector managing change and how they can get better at doing that? The saying is change is constant. And I think that, you know, change will occur wherever you are. I think the thing is to always embrace the change. But by do that by saying, ask the question of where do we want to get to? What's the vision? Now, we may not have an exact answer because as we go through, we may have to pivot and change and try something different. However, by sort of saying, where do we want to, what, what's the high level vision we want out of this, a more agile company that does this or, or a, an, an agency that can do this? You know, if we can get the vision and we understand the vision, then maybe it helps us say, okay, I can go through some changes, I can be mogged into another department or I can do whatever. Actually, it's not going to really, I can still meet the vision the values and the mission of wherever I go, which is that higher level. If you can get to there, then change really is not... I mean, I actually quite enjoy change. I think change is a good thing because it means we may be moving out of an older world. I mean, we look at some companies in the world that haven't changed and they've disappeared, really large companies. So there's a really good example there with Blockbuster. So Blockbuster was offered the opportunity to move into the Netflix-type world, and they rejected it. Mm. So they didn't embrace that change, didn't see that change that was coming forward, and now Blockbuster, which used to be on almost every corner, 
is now just images on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So sometimes change, you need to explore those options. Mm -hmm. What does this mean for us? Will this be better if we move to here? Mm -hmm. What's our vision and how do we get there? And then maybe these opportunities are great. I know of one company in Melbourne who were doing working in the real estate sector and um, during COVID, one of the things that closed down a lot were dry cleaners because nobody was taking their clothes to get dry cleaned. Mm -hmm. And this company purchased a lot of dry cleaning stores and now they've rebranded and reopened. Mm -hmm. And they've been very successful because now everybody wants to get their clothes yeah. cleaned because we're all going out again. That's right. So it's, a, it's a, How, an amazing opportunity. Idea, yeah. yeah, amazing opportunity for this company. And it was that vision and that willing to pivot mm -hmm. and the willing to say, hey, what about if we're not a real estate company? How about if we do some other things? Mm -hmm. What do we know? What skills do we have? Does anyone know anything about dry cleaning? Before we let you go, uh, there are so many out there listening to this episode who might still be unclear on what path to take. Uh, might be finishing their uni degree, not sure if they want to go into public or private. Tim, what would you say to people who are in that position still not sure? I think that knowledge is key. So if you're not sure about what you want to do or even what final subjects to do at, at uni or, or what should I do postgrad studies or not, I think the key is to get facts and knowledge. So start looking at the jobs that are available, start searching across different sectors, start saying, well, if I do this, I might be able to find this. I genuinely believe having a LinkedIn profile, if you're allowed to have one, which some departments don't allow, but if you are, I think it's really interesting to put some things in because careers and jobs will come to you. Mm. I find that on, on um, apps like LinkedIn or others, there are jobs out there you never knew existed because there are so many different creative things that are coming through. And I think having that opportunity to explore and look and listen and search and uh, what jobs are this and what skills do this, I think is a really great way to go. I wouldn't necessarily go to a recruitment consultant at that, at that stage because they may try and put you in a job where they've got a vacancy and push you down a path. I think that just going through and exploring, talking to a career advisor, talking to family or friends that you trust about what's out there, what's good, you never know what door will open. Thanks, Tim. And I think that's all we've got time for in this episode. So we'd like to again thank Megan and Tim and Andy for their conversation. Uh, and thanks again, Tim, for joining us and sharing your reflections. And Tim's details will be in the show notes if you want to get in touch with him. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners, Tim did mention a bit of uh, APS lingo, which is MOG, which is short for Machinery of Government. And it's when two departments decide to merge. And you might be seeing some of that happening with the incoming government. So we can add a bit of a um, bell there. But once again, seconding Callum. Thank you so much, Tim. Follow us all on social media. The handle is Gradcast Podcast, as you know. You can also find us on your favorite podcast app, simply searching for Gradcast. Tell us what you want to hear from us in the next episode by writing to us at hello at gradcast.com.au. We can't wait to read all of your emails, so write to us. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Gradcast is produced by Content Group on Ngunnawal land in Canberra and supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. This episode was produced in association with the Institute of Public Administration Australia's Future Leaders Program. And yes, it was me chatting with Tim and Megan. Gradcast, check us out online and we'll be back soon wherever you get your podcasts.